One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Hey, it's Sharon and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want salon perfect nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part four of the story of Stephen Lawrence. Arrested, tried and convicted for the murder of his father in 1992. It's a crime he's always maintained he's innocent of. In our previous episodes, Steve and his wife Candy have been asked to attend the police station in relation to the fire which tragically killed his father, Willard Lawrence. Steve, Candy and their attorney arrive to be greeted by detectives who were investigating this case. They are both subsequently arrested for the murder and sent to county jail. Unbeknownst to Steve, that would be his last day of freedom. Before Steve's arrest, he says that the private investigator who had been hired by his brother just days after the fire would tell him that he needs a lawyer and would drive him to the offices of David Dodge, where Steve would go ahead and enlist Mr Dodge's services. However, it was soon after that Steve says he realises that his brother and this PI that his brother had hired were seemingly in cahoots together and building a case against him. Which got me wondering why he decided to keep the attorney that had been suggested by this PI. But then when you thought you were in trouble, did you think to ditch that attorney and go with someone else? No. um, I never even thought about that. At that point in time, of course, you know, hadn't been arrested or anything like that, and we were getting ready to go to Florida. And um, so best uh, defense attorneys in Western Michigan. He was known as that. So when you're in jail at that stage, you know, you've been arrested for this crime. Are you having regular meetings Mm -hmm. or regular discussions with that attorney? Oh, yes. A lot of them. You know, I can't remember. I know the bill that racked up was over 200 grand. They were there all the time. And who was paying that bill? Was it you covering that bill or...? 
Was it coming from your father's estate, or where was that oh, bill being we ended, Yeah, We ended up paying for the whole thing uh, once we uh, once I got convicted and we sold our house. Mm. Yep, because he put a lien on the property. And what was he saying to you in these discussions that you were having on a regular basis? You know, because obviously Matty Oli and your brother were working against you. Were they in cahoots with this attorney? I, at the time, I didn't think so, and I don't know today. So in this, the lead-up to your actual trial, did you get approached at any stage by prosecutors um, offering you a deal? Yes. Uh, I, it was, I believe, a second degree or something, and there was no way I was going to plead to something I didn't do, and especially my dad. You know, you don't do that if you didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how, I mean, just out of interest, that, that second degree, what, how many years would that have been, atta- would have been attached to that? I have no idea because, you know, I didn't look at it, but uh, a good share of second degrees that I know in here are home. But, uh, and that's something, you know, that I've, when I've written to the University of Michigan, how hard it is watching all these guys that, they go. They have classes in here called, like one of them is VPP, is Violent uh, Prevention Program. You know, it's been suggested I go in there, but when you go into these programs, Jack, and they've got a lot of different programs, you have to go in and admit your crime and tell what happened. Yeah. Well, I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. I don't know what happened, so I can't take any of these programs. So, but the people that I have, and they've gone in and said, yeah, I murdered this guy, and I murdered that guy, and so like that, they're home. Your attorney at the time, did he try and convince you to take it, or what was his suggest- thoughts on it? He just presented it, and, and that was it. There is no actual set length attached to a second-degree murder charge, and it is simply at the court's discretion as to how long you will serve. But it is safe to say that should Steve had taken that plea, like so many do, he most certainly would not be still in prison over 30 years later. Eventually, Steve's wife Candy would make bond as her charges would be slightly downgraded to accessory. But prior to her making bond, their two children went to stay with their uncle Don. And Steve says while the boys were there, they would be subjected to some bizarre behaviour. Now, both Candy and I are in the Barry County Jail. And because of that, you know, and, and say we haven't had a prelim or anything like that yet. And so our boys went to stay at my brother Don's house. And while they were there, Jerry and Don, but mostly Jerry, would put them under bright lights at night and would not let them go to bed until they said that their mom and dad are killers. And they did this night night after night. Very bizarre. Oh, yeah. So, and I'd say this, this goes to Jerry Mattioli. And when Candy made Bond and she went to, her and her mom went to the school to pick them up because they were in school, they wouldn't come to Candy. Candy had to get down on her knees and, and she was in tears crying to have the boys come to her. The only way, thank God, my mother-in-law, when she was in the preliminary hearing, 
um, went and and picture, they videotaped the whole pro, uh, proceeding, and they saw Don and everybody lying on the stand. And that from that day on, they have they can't stand Don or Medioli. They they watched all the lies on there, and then they they it turned them. They didn't. Candy didn't have to say anything. Mother-in-law didn't have to say anything. All they did is had them sit and watch what what they said on the stand. And to this day, they can't stand them. So I'm assuming the boys told you this, that this happened. Yeah, boys and candy, yes. Prior to Steve going to trial, there would first be a preliminary hearing held. It's almost like a mini-trial where some of the witnesses take the stand to give part of their evidence. It's an opportunity for the courts to decide if they believe there is in fact enough evidence to be able to take the case to a full trial. This would be the first occasion that Steve would get to hear just what his brother Don had to say against him. The first time you know that your brother is going to go up against you really is when he gets up on that stand in, in that preliminary... Absolutely. How did that feel seeing him up, yeah. seeing him get up against you? Oh, absolutely horrible. Couldn't believe it, and never could believe it. You know, and and I can say I know everything was being spooed fed by Jerry Mattioli, and and I'd say my brother Dick, he would stop up and see me every once in a while when I was here in Carson or um, at uh, Muskegon, and he did in in Ionia, and. Uh, he he was kind of up in the air, you know, as far as what happened. But, you know, he had, Don had him all gun-ho, too, during the trial. And, and, matter of fact, it was my brother Dick after Candy's trial, stuff like that, that would always say that uh, courts in session let the perjury begin because he got to see a lot of different things, you know, and hear a lot of different things when her trial went through. So this preliminary happens. At, what was the what was the purpose of the pr- preliminary itself? Uh, to sh- the preliminary hearing is to show evidence um, that a, the crime had committed, and and far as you know, there's enough evidence to bind me over for trial. Okay, that's what that's for. So they just give you enough, but it was uh, it was horrible, you know. And Candy and I are sitting in there, just you know, un- unbelievable. So that preliminary happens, and what the result of that, you know, they say there's enough here to take you to trial for the murder of your father? Yes. Mattioli was their, their star witness, and, and his lies up there. And obviously it must be, and I, I say this to so many people I talk to who are in these situations, it must be so hard just to sit there and say nothing when you know someone's up there saying things that are bullshit, basically. <laughs> it is for anybody, but it makes it even worse when it's your dad. Yeah, and you had such a good relationship and and such a bond and love and family, and uh, you can't believe how bad that hurts. Well, this um, first hearing that's had, where your brother gets up for the first time, what were the claims he was making against you? Oh, just talking about uh, it. One of the main things in there was, if I remember correctly, boy, Jack's been a long time, but it was when. Um, about uh, the fireman and directed him to the wrong window, which 
you know, we've got the notes and everything. I wasn't, I didn't even know that the firemen went into my dad's house till later on the next day. It was 100% Don that directed him. So this isn't actually just a claim being made by Steve. This is a fact. As part of this story, I have been supplied the court documents from Steve's trial, and with that comes thousands of pages of transcripts from testimony at the trial. On page 1760 of part of Don Lawrence's testimony, he states that very shortly after they arrived on the scene of the fire, just behind one of the fire trucks, he gets out of his car and sees Candy, Steve's wife, and asks if his dad had got out, and she replies no. He says a fireman then asks him if there's anyone still in the house. Don says, yes, my father. And they say, which room is he in? Don says, and I quote, I believe I said he's in the corner bedroom. Further claims were made by a neighbour regarding going to an incorrect window, which we will discuss with Steve later on. Another claim that was made by Steve, which we heard in our previous episode, was that his brother Don, the day of the fire that would take the life of their father, would arrive at his father's home to pick up his dad's car. Steve says that on his way out, Don would disable the home's state-of-the-art alarm system. A system that in the event of a fire would not only sound an alarm, but would also notify local authorities. My mom and dad built their home in 1972. It was finished in 1972, and and at that time they had a state-of-the-art burglar alarm and fire alarm. And why did Don go to my dad's house when, after my wife and kids had all the lights on, the heat on and everything, and, and turn all the lights off, disable the fire and burglar alarm when they know he's coming home. It's never, ever happened since they built that house. Forever. I mean, there was never a time ever in my life that that the burglar alarm wasn't on. The fire alarm was always on. And then, so why did my brother Don disable the burglar alarm and go into that closet and disable the fire alarm? And, you know, like I said, that's all part of testimony. He, he said, yes, I did that on purpose. As mentioned... This, again, is not just some wild claim by Steve. In fact, this is taken from direct testimony from the trial. Mr Lawrence, at the point you picked up your father's car on the evening of the 19th, you testified you shut the security system off. That is correct. Okay. upon leaving with your father's car that evening, was the security system left in an on position or an off position? No, sir, I believe I testified that it was left in the off position, purposely. Don Lawrence would apparently say that it was to make his father's life easier for when he returned and not having to worry about the alarm system. However, as Steve has mentioned, this home was built by Don's father and he specifically had this system placed in that home. It is a home he'd lived in for many years. So turning this system on and off for his father would no doubt have been no harder for him than using the key to open the front door. You could certainly say it's coincidental that the very first time this alarm system had ever been switched off, a fire would occur. (laughs) 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. So Steve is off to trial on a case he says is not only completely circumstantial, but also built entirely on supposed evidence found by the PI Jerry Mattioli, the one hired by his brother Don. So you go back to jail. How long are you in jail for before the actual trial begins? Um, well, I'm trying to think when my trial began here. Uh, I think around September 16th or somewhere around in there. Cause I know I was, I was found guilty on October 21st. Right. So September 16th, right in that vicinity was when I went to, went to trial. And I was in the county jail all that time. Now, see, another big part of this, too, Jack, is shortly after my father died, Miss Kay Simpson lived two houses down. She was a nurse, and, and she could tell I was stressed out. And she brought me uh, some sample packets of Xanax. Have you ever heard of those? Xanax? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Well, she brought sample packs down, and quite a few of them. And uh, I had never taken anything like that before. The only thing I did is in younger years, you know, teenagers in early 20s, smoked some marijuana, and I was a, I would drink on occasion, but social, not a heavy drinker either. But she got, I was got hooked on those things, and then uh, after, um, I think after I'm trying to think if I got prescription, I think when I was out. But once I got in jail, um, our doctor kept prescribing me those, and then she put me on, uh, so I was on Xanax, and then I think something called Ativan, Lorzepan, and Senequan. The bottom line is, when I was in the county jail, I was a zombie and didn't know it because they kept pumping me through all these drugs, these mind-altering drugs. And uh, I know Candy's attorney, Terry Nolan, showed uh, an example of he had a, a big jar and they put it on the front page of the paper how many pills they gave me would never see me never diagnosing me or anything like that but I was just I was a zombie and 
when I went to prison, they cut me off cold turkey, and I thought I was going to die right there because I was going through such bad withdrawals. But it wasn't long, and, boy, I started remembering a lot of things. I should have told David Dodge this. I should have told David Dodge that. And and, and we did go back for uh, uh, a competency hearing because of the drugs, of course, you know, and a motion for new trial after Candy's trial. And you knew it was going to be denied before going in front of the same judge. Actually, I've seen a, a photo from a, an old, I found an old newspaper clipping where you're sitting at the table and um, I believe, is it Candy that's sitting next to you during your trial? Yes. I've never seen that before, no. where, like a partner sitting next to you, each other, because she wasn't on, it's not like you guys were on trial together in that case, so it, was there a reason for her sitting next to you during the trial and not, you know, anywhere else? She was, well, that was my partner in life there and, and since, you know, we were kids and she was there helping take notes and everything, I was, uh, you know... <laughs> traumatized being in court period being innocent yeah so she was almost acting like a sort of a sort of co that's what a, what a co-counsel would do wouldn't it sit there and take notes about what's being said yes absolutely <laughs> so what was the case against you because it was it was it purely circumstantial oh 100 percent. it was it the only thing that they had against me and i think i shared this with you before the state police detectives said to me he couldn't have got a search warrant or anything if it wasn't for Jerry Mattioli meeting with the state police 50 times and the detectives telling them all the lies and bullcrap that he did. Now, there were a couple of pieces of so-called physical evidence as a few items were recovered at the time of and after the fire. One of those items which would come into question was a gas mask. It's a mask that Steve says he did attempt to use to gain access to the home during the fire. There was talks of this um, this gas mask. Can you tell me much about the gas mask situation? When they were having uh, fires out around there, and which I didn't know, but a, a friend of mine loaned me a gas mask that he had unknowingly, and I did... Uh, try to uh, to use that too when I first uh, discovered the fire with me and I tried to go in the roadside door which is the back door and uh, I, a gas mask is not working smoke and I had no idea so okay so you tried to get into the house with that on and it was obviously not working so you um, retreated from that idea yes it was very hot and very smoky. I made it in probably 10 feet or so before I had to come and retreat back out. The whole reason I even got that was the, the fact that uh, Candy's in our bedroom was so far from our boys. I mean, a long ways away and then way upstairs. And I figured if we ever needed it, that I could put that on and go up there. I kept it, you know, right in a drawer. And, uh, you know, I never knew it, they actually didn't work and stuff like that. So, and see, I don't even know where that thing was. I, when I remember when I came out, I just threw it on the ground. Um, and Jerry Mattioli found it in the garage, uh, underneath in back of a, uh, a rear tire of a truck. So, and I'm not even sure it was the same mask that was in there. The thing is, uh, it was in a garage. It had very light petroleum ripped up, if I remember correctly. As Steve mentions, it would be private investigator Jerry Mattioli and his brother Don Lawrence who would in fact find this gas mask. Something Don was asked about during his testimony. 
Steve's attorney was questioning Don about how much time he and Jerry Mattioli were spending together. Steve's attorney, you were spending a lot of time together. Don, I don't think that would be an essentially correct statement, no. Attorney, well, I believe your testimony was that the two of you went to the barn and you found a gas mask. Don, I believe that's correct, but that does not constitute spending a lot of time with him. And the gas mask was eventually turned over to the police? Don, I have no knowledge of that. It was turned over to Jerry Mattioli at that point in time, and I presume he turned it over to the police. Could you tell the jury specifically where this gas mask was found? It was found in my father's barn, the large building which housed his motor home and a pickup truck, and it was on the floor in the barn just as you walk into the door. I believe it was sort of behind the right rear tyre. There is then a back and forth discussion about how close the gas mask was to the, in fact, tyre from the truck. Here's Steve's attorney again. And that date would have been about February 28th? Don. I believe my testimony yesterday stated that it was either the 27th or the 28th of February. I do believe it was the 28th, but I could be mistaken. The death of Willard Lawrence happened on the 20th of February. Now, on the 28th or 27th, we're not sure, but at least a week after this incident, Don and the PI turn up at the home into this barn and find a gas mask, basically sitting right in front of them. How had no one found it until now is the question. Steve's attorney again. Now, just for the jury's information, the point of exit for that pickup truck from the barn would have been forward or backward. Don would have been back. And this gas mask is behind one of the tyres, is that your testimony? Mm, That is essentially correct. So it's between the tyre and the back door, that is essentially correct. Do you know if that pickup truck had been moved since February 20th, 1992? I believe it had been. Steve was running all over with it earlier on. So that gas mask is found behind the tyre of the truck that would have been moved between the date of your dad's fire and the date that you and Mr Mattioli came upon the gas mask. If you're suggesting to me, sir, that the gas mask had been run over, there was no signs of the gas mask being run over. Well, what I'm asking you is whether or not if the truck had been moved since the fire... The truck had been moved. Steve actually took it one day to go to Grand Rapids, I think on Friday, to pick up a television. So that if the gas mask was behind the truck tyre on February 20th and the truck were moved, the truck would have run over the gas mask. I don't believe that the gas mask would have been there because I can specifically remember seeing that truck in there, I believe almost on Sunday when the door was open, when they were loading that vehicle and there was no gas mask there to my recollection at the point in time. So you had observed the same area where this gas mask was taken from since the time of your dad's fire and the mask was not there before. To the best of my recollection, it was not there. So another odd situation where this gas mask, which would become evidence in this trial, miraculously appears over a week later in a barn that had been used multiple times between the fire and the date that Jerry Mattioli and Don Lawrence found this gas mask. As we already know, Steve's wife would also go on trial for this murder sometime after Steve was already found guilty. 
He says unlike his lawyer, his wife's was far more aggressive in his questioning of the likes of his brother Don and Jerry Mattioli, the private investigator. When on the stand, he would push Jerry Mattioli, the private investigator, on the convenience of him and Don just happening upon this gas mask. I found something. This is when uh, Candy's attorney was questioning Jerry Mattioli, and, and I'm reading here the question. Let me get this straight. You and Don just happened to find this gas mask behind the rear wheel of a truck in Willard's barn. I found the gas mask on a given date. This is Jerry, and then he says several days later, I told Stephen that I took it, and that was the one he wore. Right behind that is the detective uh, in his thing when it said, um, did he go and tell you that he talked to Steve about the mask? And this is the detective uh, speaking, and apparently I put down no response from him, no response from Mattioli. So Candy's attorney is essentially saying that, Mr Mattioli, this seems all very convenient, that you and Don would just happen upon this gas mask over a week after the fire, with it sitting in plain sight. Mattioli states that he had informed Steve that he had the gas mask and that they knew it was the one that he wore. However, later on in the trial, the detective involved in the case gets on the stand and Candy's attorney brings up the subject of the gas mask again. And he would ask him if Jerry Mattioli had in fact informed him that he had apparently spoken to Steve about the mask, to which the detective says no. there was two different experts that got up at your trial and am I right in saying they both said different things? Yes. We did have one because I said it was uh, Dr. Violet uh, Mershock, or or chemist, and she testified to the lack of petroleum products found within the gas mask filters. Two experts would look at this gas mask, one for the defence and one for the prosecution, and both would have a difference of opinion as to what they found on the gas mask. Kevin Streeter was a chemist for the prosecution. He did multiple tests on different items from the crime scene. One of the items that he tested was that of the gas mask. He testified that there was gasoline and a heavy petroleum product such as kerosene or diesel fuel found in the gas mask. The defence would bring forth Violetta Mershak. She runs a fire and environmental consulting laboratory in East Lansing, with degrees in fuel chemistry, chemical engineering and analytical chemistry. She would also test the gas mask using a different testing method as the prosecution's expert. She would use gas chromiograph to test vapours. She did not find any evidence of accelerants. She would compare a graph created by using vapours from gas masks and graphs created by vapours of various accelerants, and they didn't match. Two experts with completely different opinions. Kevin Streeter, who in this is Candy's trial, uh, and when he testified, Michigan State lab technician from testifies in Candy's trial that if someone would have worn a mask to pour accelerants, he would have expected to find it in the paper filter, which he did not. And that was in there. And he also testified in there that, uh, that 
the detectives, Detective Neal, stuff like that, did not give him all the information and that he very well would have had a different opinion if he would have known everything. You have one minute remaining. And that's all we have time for. Coming up in our next episode, we'll dive deeper into testimony given at Stephen's trial, plus look more at his wife Candy's trial, where she would be found not guilty of this crime. One Minute Remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production, created, hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of Earsay. 